Hello and welcome to Take 18, a podcast where we love to talk about movies because we love movies. This show is produced by the Central Coast Film Society. My name is Daniel Lair, the founder and executive director of the Central Coast Film Society. It's great having you tune in to catch us here for our fourth episode. And uh, man, what an episode we have today. We will have a really nice long interview with David Hardberger, who has worked on some of your favorite sci-fi movies. Uh, that includes Star Trek, Blade Runner, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and of course, one of my all-time favorites, Spaceballs. Uh, so that's coming up in a bit. But uh, please make sure that you subscribe so you can find out when every episode comes out. And that way you can also catch up on any of the old episodes you may have missed. Um, which of course we want you to check out because there's tons of really fun content on there and uh, also interviews like the one we're going to have today. So throughout this entire podcast series, we're going to be looking into movie news, some reviews, and even uh, all these interviews and filmmaker takes to talk about how we make movies. But right now, let's dive into movie news. And at the box office, Bad Boys for Life ends its three-week run at the number one spot, coming into second place, uh, falling to Birds of Prey, which um, is actually performing a lot less than the studio predictions were. It came in at $33 million this weekend, and uh, they were expecting to make it about $45 million. Uh, it's still getting a B-plus rating on CinemaScore, and it got an 81% uh, critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. But uh, some are thinking that it's the R rating that's keeping audiences away. I saw this movie over the weekend, and I uh, posted a review, which we'll recap here a little bit uh, later and share my thoughts on this movie. Now, 1917 held on to its third spot again, only seeing a 5% drop in attendance. Doolittle came in fourth, and Jumanji, the next level, remains in the top five again, dropping only 8%, bringing its worldwide total to $768 million. Now, in other box office news, or um, a reminder, if you will, if you're excited about the third film of the Kingsman series, which is called The King's Man, it's a prequel to the first two popular films, you may remember seeing the film with a release date of Valentine's Day, which would be this week. Uh, I was even, you know, when I went to go see Birds of Prey at the theater, I saw a poster with it with even the February 14th um, date on the bottom of it. But you're not going to be able to see this movie in theaters until September 18th. <laughs> it got pushed back a little bit. It was announced back in November that the film was going to be pushed back. And it's uh, because the movie is actually it, it's made by Fox, which is now owned by Disney. And so it's having their release dates shuffled by some of the higher powers with other Fox movies. Um, this, of course, was just it wasn't just the Fox movies. It was a little bit of everything. But other movies that that has happened to was Spies in Disguise, the animated film, and also the uh, New Mutants movie coming out. And uh, so there's a little bit of shuffling going on. So the Kingsman kind of fell into that. So if you're uh, expecting to see that this weekend, you're going to have to wait just a little bit. And other news, um, you may have seen there was a little show that happened over the weekend. <laughs> so that's right. It's the 92nd Academy Awards was held and Parasite became uh, the big winner of the night. And it even made Hollywood history with four wins, which included Best Picture. But they also won the Best International Feature formerly known as Best Foreign Language Film. And it took, uh, took home some of the other big wins, including writing and directing. Other films did well. Uh, 1917 got three awards. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Ford vs. Ferrari, and Joker, they both got two awards for each of those films. 
And then all the other winners um, just got one for their movie. Uh, Netflix's Irishman was the only Best Picture nominated movie that was shut out and didn't win any uh, awards. But Netflix is probably not hurting too bad because Laura Dern uh, secured the company's first acting Oscar for Marriage Story. Now, I did see another interesting statistic. Ever since Gone with the Wind, every single all-time high-grossing film, uh, worldwide film, has gone on to win at least one Academy Award. But that actually changed last night when Avengers Endgame failed to bring home any Oscar gold. It was only nominated in one category in visual effects. And uh, definitely the winner of that went to 1917. They did an amazing job. You wouldn't think of it as a visual effects film when you watch it. But that actually, I think, is what helps make it a better visual effect uh, uh, category or winner because you don't know it's there. Visual effects should not be something that's kind of necessarily hitting you over the head like this is a CGI character. You know, it should be something that's real and feels very real and makes it kind of blend in more. So um, <clears throat> not saying that's a bad choice or a bad thing that's happened, uh, but uh, definitely uh, some some good choices all around and interesting news from the Oscars. Now, uh, another uh, Joker took home the prize for Best Actor by uh, Joaquin Phoenix. So it's the second Oscar going to an um, uh, uh, actor who played the Joker, but this time it was in a lead role. Last one was, of course, Heath Ledger, who got it for The Dark Knight, uh, and he got that award after he had sadly passed away. But uh, let's jump into the quick review of the movie that's based on that character's girlfriend that just came out, Harley Quinn, uh, in Birds of Prey. Now, I saw this movie, and I got to say, it was a mess. There was, um, I think there was just a lot of things going on against it, uh, including the R rating, because it, it was a pretty hard R. Um, mostly language, uh, violence, yeah, but, you know, that's no, that's not a big deal. But I, I, I did sit there and I was just thinking to myself too many times that it, it's just trying to copy Deadpool um, in, in a few areas there. Uh, it was nice to see that Warner Brothers actually didn't take themselves too seriously, finally, because I feel like most of their uh, superhero DC universe movies are kind of just too serious. And um, Marvel, on the other hand, they, they kind of have fun with them. They know what to do, and, and, and they, they, they still take it seriously, but they know how to have fun. And I think this one was, um, they, just, they just didn't care about anything, which was, you know, if you want to think about it, it, it does work for Harley Quinn, who's the one who is narrating the story. And uh, so it, it does match to her level of insanity and craziness. But and, and that does kind of work. But really, uh, Ewan McGregor as the uh, supervillain um, Black Mask, he, I think that was actually the standout of the movie. Uh, I wish he was going to uh, be in more movies, but um, I don't think there's a chance that we're going to see him in any other movies. Uh, if you've seen the movie and you know that uh, really hard R ending there to him, uh, that's that's uh, that's not going to happen. So there were times when I found myself really enjoying this movie, bits and pieces of it, um, but I was just going on a ride. It, it, it literally felt like things were just happening because of dumb luck, and I literally sat there just going, well, this is lazy writing. So, um, to me, I think the Birds of Prey just kind of seemed to have laid a rotten egg. So, give it a two out of five stars. And uh, now we're going to actually jump into our interview with David Harburger, who was a camera operator for shooting miniatures in some of my all-time favorite sci-fi films. So, let's talk about that now with David. And we are here with David Harburger. 
Hi, David. How are you? Yeah. Hi, how are you? I'm doing Good. great. Thank you so much for being here. Very welcome. Um, I, Good to be here. I am so excited to talk to you because we, um, I, I've been looking at your resume of what you've done. And there's so many movies that just like just check my boxes of like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And so I, I have got so many questions that I, I'd love to talk to you about. But tell us about what you do, what you do, uh, where what your background is, and kind of how you got started in the industry. I got started because this um, guy. I was I was willing to. I wanted to get in. I was willing to do anything, you know, sweep the stage, great, get coffee, fine. And this guy needed an assistant. And he, this was back in the good old days when they were doing design main titles. And he needed somebody to work with him. I didn't know a damn thing. I knew what a camera was. And he brought me on as his assistant, which was fine. And only to discover that this was probably the most disorganized man I've ever come across. Everything was perpetually late. But we ended up, or I ended up over at Universal Studios working on the original Andromeda strain. I don't know how many of our listeners have seen that. There's little titles that go across the bottom of the screen, either giving a location or a day or something like that. I was the guy that put up all those titles on a black card. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I mean, even in today's world, a lot of people probably don't actually know that you had to actually f- physically shoot those titles. Yes. It's not something in a computer that you did. It was it was actually something that was shot. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was what got, you got started in, was doing... That, and then I ended up, uh, through a variety of, you know, uh, the cir- classic circumlocutions path, ended up working in an animation camera service, same thing, you know, individual uh, cells. I did that for about two and a half years, and that's how I got into the camera local, went from there to a commercial house, and from there to Close Encounters of the Third Kind on the effects unit. Wow, so, so very nice. So, um, so yeah, Close Encounters of the, uh, is an amazing film. What? So tell us, kind of, what you started. You started to get into that effects world, and and getting into those um, camera operations on on that. So, what was uh, something that you um, th- that you kind of started to make that step into it? What did you did you get your eyes open by anything? Were you kind of taken back by? Oh wow, this is you know, like you said, is this complete chaos? You know that that people don't really know or. Um. I wasn't taken aback by it. I was kind of I was like, wow, this is a major film. Yeah. And um, we were doing Close Encounters at the same time that um, the original ILM was doing Star Wars. So yeah. we'd kind of, you know, cross-pollinate <laughs> when uh, Dennis Marin, who mm. now works, at, uh, I don't know if he's retired or not, but he was working at ILM. Right. And when he was finished with Star Wars, he came over with us and worked on Mothership. Oh, wow. So is that that is that some of the things that you shot then for Close Encounters? I or? didn't shoot uh, any of Mothership. I did the saucers. Okay. Dave Stewart was the uh, director of photography on that, and I was his operator assistant on a motion control unit, which probably most of your listeners don't know what the hell motion control well, is. Well, tell, <laughs> tell us what it is. Motion control is... A programmable, see if I can get this right, a programmable camera system Mm -hmm. that can repeat the move over and over regardless of how fast. Right. Does that make sense to anybody out in the audience? Raise your hand if it does. (laughs) Exactly. And and I got to imagine that back in uh, 1977, uh, you know, that that was a lot more difficult to do. Um, I think just mechanically as opposed to something when you had like, you know, computers nowadays that run everything. So 
It was kind of a computer. It was more like a big tape recorder yeah. that you'd record the move. You'd get that down. Mm-hmm. And then you'd start putting up various elements of the flying saucers and just repeating those over and over. And so what would be some of the functions of why would you need the motion control for those saucers? Because some of the exposures mm-hmm. um, on the saucer, you couldn't do it all at once. But to get the look, you may do, bleh, start over. <clears throat> First pass would be, say, the outside lights on the saucer. Right. And that would be at one exposure. You'd do that. Close the shutter on the camera, roll the film back to the beginning, take the camera back to the start point, turn off the one set of lights you've just photographed, turn on another whatever. Oh, wow. Okay. Open the shutter and do it at a different exposure. Right. And it will all be on the same piece of film because that's one thing that Doug Trumbull really insisted on is to try to keep as much on the negative as possible without using various elements. See, that's, yeah, that's something that's blowing my mind is that it would still be on the same negative and yep. that you would literally run that negative backwards and then re, re-expose and run, it. Run it again. Yep. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, that's crazy. I you, you would think in today's world, like with the, you know, I know I have a little bit of background in, in visual effects with computers and, mm-hmm. and, you know, the same thing where you do your first pass with the different kind of layers and then you just, you know, blend it all back together again. Um, but just doing that physically on the negative, I yeah. think that's that's crazy, but that's that's awesome. I think the fewest number of passes we ever had was like four, yeah. and the most was around six or seven. Wow. And then, of course, you know, back in, in those days when you had dailies, you had to wait for them to get exposed and, and uh, processed, and processed over, and then, over the lab. Yeah, and then exactly. And we were shooting in 65 millimeter film, so, wow. you know, the, the rigs wow. were all bigger, a lot yeah. bigger than... Just your standard is, camera. Is there a reason that you went with 65 instead of standard 35? Uh, better quality, bigger picture negative, better quality, right. that it could stand the optical process going through and you wouldn't have uh, a lot of grain, you wouldn't pick up a lot of grain, the blacks would hold up. Okay. Uh, this was all stuff that uh, Trumbull and Yersich, Dick Yersich, who was um, dealing with the optical end of it a lot, they came up with that. Wow. So, that was kind of their own process. Was that their own special technique, or what was what was it? Was that a standard operating procedure uh, back the then? The commercial company I worked for, worked for, which was Bob Abel and Associates, they were using that a lot. And I think over there, we did a logo for some company, and I think that was like twenty passes through the camera. Wow. And wow. the thing with multiple pass photography, if you screw up the one pass, yeah. It's gone. You yeah. scrap it and you go yeah. back to square one. Mm-hmm. Do you did you do like multiple takes just to make sure that you got it or no? You, no you just, oh no 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 because no, <laughs> some of this uh, over at Ables, I you know one of those would be like you'd be there for like eight or ten hours. Right. It right. Just, it wow. It takes forever. All right. Well then, so <laughs> after uh, so after um, close encounters, how how'd you move on to the next project? Uh, I mean, what was the next project? I want to say it was Star Trek. Star Trek. Well, I mean, yeah, that's a little movie. <laughs> you know? And a lot of the same techniques there with the miniatures. Um, stayed with Trumbull's company for a while. And then I th- uh, up to Blade Runner. Okay. Yeah. I'm trying to, you're, you're asking, <laughs> you know, I, I'm having to dust off the. <laughs> uh, well, that's okay. No, but, you know, uh, so let's, let's go dive into Star Trek because, I mean, I. 
we just uh, on the Central Coast, we've got Star Trek Picard that just filmed out here. Uh, so it's a huge. We're we're kind of getting a big Star Trek like beacon here on the Central Coast right really? now. Excellent. Yeah, it, it's it's really awesome. Um, you know, with Sunstone Winery down there, uh, is is Picard's uh, chateau. Oh, I didn't Picard. know that. Yeah, so it's right down there in San Inez, um, which ironically, some of the guys I worked with on visual effects are now working on the visual effects from Picard that, <laughs> that are from Santa Maria, and so it's it's really nice to kind of see that, but. I was on some show and we shot up here and I can't remember what it was. It was something small, smaller, and we ended up getting staged out of Sunstone. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's oh, that's how I got to be a Sunstone fan. Wow, very nice. I mean, yeah, can, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so but we're talking about Star Trek, the motion picture, yes. the very first... Uh, Star Trek movie, the, the, the one that looked really good. Yeah, well, yeah, not the tooting any horns here, but yeah, no, of course. So tell us what you did on that, and, and I was again working with Dave Stewart, yeah, um, who was the director of photography for the miniature unit, and we did the dry dock and some of uh, V'ger landscape once they're inside V'ger, mm-hmm. but it was primarily the dry dock, and I'm trying to remember uh, the. The little travel pod, some of the stuff yeah. on the side of the ship. So, yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, how did you guys? Because I mean, that those weren't the only miniature shots done in the movie at all. Did you guys have like certain teams that did certain shots, yeah. and you just broke it up and you went went at it like that? I, I've somebody. I think it was Hoyt Yeatman and somebody else on another stage. They were doing the Enterprise, and because Star Trek was faced with a hard opening they had to have this thing in the theaters i think i want to say december 7th of the same year so and when when were you shooting i started i think i started late january early february and i was on that all the way through up till late november so it was almost like having a real job wow that's (laughs) almost um Wow, and going all the way up to November, that's that's yeah. right at the very last minute. Oh, this way, I mean, you know, you can see the, somebody with a, the film was coming out of the process and there's somebody with a hair dryer right. <laughs> trying to dry it off. Wow. Um, they split the film up so that um, Apogee, mm-hmm. which was the old ILM, it's the uh, it's the ILM that stayed in Los Angeles out at Van, at the Van Nuys Airport. Yeah. And became Apogee, and they took over exterior V'ger, uh, the the Klingon attack on V'ger, mm. and the, but those were the two big segments. And Trumbull recognized they had to split it up at that point because yeah. they just you're just running they, out they, of time. They were never going to get it done. And I think Apogee lost the uh, what was a Ken Russell movie. But they lost that, and there, yeah. there basically there was a slot open. Wow! And so they talked to um, to the Dykstra, and was like, "Yeah, we aren't doing anything. Bring it on." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and then following up right after that, you it, you uh, worked on Star Trek Two as well. Uh, Went up to ILM, yeah, uh, up in the Bay Area, and worked up there on um, Rathacon. Yeah. Everybody likes Rathacon. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like the Empire Strikes Back, you know, yeah. same, same sort of thing where yeah. it's just Wrath of Khan is, is kind of that classic. Um, so same thing. So you went up to ILM then up mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Right. Okay. And what was the uh, same sort of deal? Same, Pretty much. Working on, yeah, except uh, we were also doing the background plates. Okay. So they'd send us down to Paramount Studios with a VistaVision camera. Uh, you know what VistaVision is. I don't know how many of the listeners do. Well. VistaVision uses 35 millimeter film 
but instead of going vertically, of course, I'm doing this with my hand, which nobody <laughs> I, can see. I do. I do. He, he is doing that. I can verify. <laughs> it's pulled across. It's pulled horizontally through the gate. And it's a big, same thing, bigger picture area. Right. More to work with. Right. And and that's something that's important, I think, from back then, where you had to get as much as you could in that negative, yes. because you there was no way to enhance it or make it bigger. You had to get it in the camera at that time. You could make it bigger, but then you start degrading. You, right. You start degrading the image. Right. I mean, you know, you take it too far, and you have film grain the size of golf balls. Which I mean, you still you still do that today. You know, you still get pixelated things when yeah. you zoom in too far on a. You know, people will understand that. So yeah, it's it's the same process. Yeah, but it's the it's the analog process of, right. uh, of pixelation but uh, that was still 35 or were you still shooting in a higher format uh, this division takes 35 35 yeah, yeah. very nice uh, and then of course um, one one of the movies uh, you know I'm just I'm literally just looking at your IMDB right now and and the movie after Wrath of Khan is one of my favorite sci-fis is Blade Runner, Runner. yeah <laughs> I mean just from a visual standpoint it's just amazing um, and uh, so what did you get to do on Blade Runner all the cityscapes that's amazing the cityscapes is I think one of the things that just makes that movie too surprise um the thing with the cityscapes, they originally didn't have that many. Pl- you know, there was there was a few just to or just stuff. mainly plates or uh, no to establish it. You know, okay, and yeah. um, I think they were going to use a lot of, some matte paintings, which yeah. they do at the end when Decker's hanging off the side of the building. Okay, but <clears throat> I think Ridley Scott started. I think it was Scott started seeing this stuff. And he said, "We need more of this." So they. Our work order went up. <laughs> so were people in the back then just making models as fast as they possibly could? And uh, they had this the older section of Los Angeles built. Oh, okay. Um, and you, you folks won't be able to see this, but as we're walking around the set, and the set was big enough, I could walk down the street. Wow. And look in the windows, and what the model makers had done is taken pictures of themselves <laughs> and hung them in the different rooms <laughs> as decoration. That's amazing. <laughs> and yeah, that's stuff that you'll never see no. in any of the, in any of that. That's that's amazing. Um, what is so. When when you're doing this camera work, who are you reporting to directly? I mean, are you do you you get your marching orders from um, directly from Dave Stewart? Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, wow, that's that's pretty uh, amazing. And then of course, there's another little thing that uh, a movie right after Blade Runner. It's uh, you know, Return of the Jedi. Went back up north. You know, and a little indie film. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and basically had my own stage. The only two people I was reporting to was Richard Edlund, who was one of the visual effects supervisors that I had worked with before at Robert Abel and Associate, uh, the commercial company, mm-hmm. and Lucas. Wow. That was pretty much it. And so you were just stationed up there? Is it? I was up there for ooh, several months. Wow. And I love the Bay Area. Oh yeah, no, I, I used to live up there myself. Yeah, it's. Um, uh, but uh, and actually, when I went to um, I went to the Academy of Art University in mm-hmm. San Francisco, and and I actually got to edit on. Um, you know, I shot on actual film, which mm-hmm. you know, even today, that's like you know, what? <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Uh, but I so I edited on a flatbed, and they said, oh well, this flatbed editing table is actually what came from Lucas and they they donated it and they actually cut Return of the Jedi on it. Oh, really? <laughs> and, and this was like while I was in process of doing it and I about lost my mind. I was just like, this is the coolest thing and I'm never going to give up this table. I'm just going to sit here and just marvel over it. So, um, but it was, you know, little things like that from being up in the Bay Area that you get, you know, these little kind of nods and touches to. So I'm, I was pretty excited. 
Um, did you ever meet Lucas or any? Yeah, several times. Well, so tell me about that. He's he's an inner. He's kind of shy. Yeah, and he didn't know me from Adam because yeah. he hadn't. You know, and I'd get briefed. You know, this is you know this is what we're doing this evening. These are the storyboards, and you know, and Lucas would be standing next to Richard Edlund, and they're talking, and Richard would be talking to me. Lucas would look over at me occasionally, but wouldn't look me direct. He'd kind of look around me. Yeah. And after a while, that loosened up. He's just a, he's kind of a shy guy. So he like while you're doing a shot. So like, what shot were you working on? Like uh, space battle sequence. All this, a lot of the stuff at the end. Oh wow! So all the ships and everything, yep. and uh, Death Star. None of the Death Star. No, just the ships. Just the ships. Okay. Uh, were you involved with like the pyrotechnics on them too? Like blowing no, them up? Or I is that... wish because that's kind of fun. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but still, I mean, and, and so is it, were you still doing the same uh, motion capture kind of setup to make the uh, illusion uh, the motion, of flight? The, mo- and, the motion control, yeah. 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 Or, yeah I'm sorry, yeah, yeah motion. motion control. Um, that's that's amazing. Uh, what was kind of your, do you have any favorite memories? Like, did you know going into, I mean, look, just looking at these movies, uh, you know, you start to think, well, this guy, he's like, Mr. Sci-Fi, you know, like going into it, like I mean, is that were were you happy about that? Oh or? yeah, because I like yeah. sci-fi. By and I like good sci-fi, <laughs> right? Because there's, I grew up in the, yeah, I'm dating myself. I grew up in the fifties, ending up watching a lot of guy in rubber suit yeah. terrorizes spaceship, small town, you know, right, <laughs> right. So, so you were excited then? Yes, very okay. much so. What any of your favorite memories coming from this, or any moments where you were just like, you know, kind of almost starstruck that you were you were there? Like, pinch me! I can't believe I'm doing this. Well, there's a, there were a couple of shots in Jedi, and it's like when you see the composite. Uh, Damn, that worked out better than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> nice, that's amazing. Um, so, like, did you ever get to go like to the premieres as well, and then get to like see your work up there for the first time? Yes, I did. And here's the funny part: I, for because of circumstances, I don't know whether it, was, whether it was because of some other job I was on, I didn't get to go to the ILM screening of Jedi. Hmm. I get a call from. One of the folks up at ILM, this was like several, it was like a month later or several weeks later, and said, they're running, you know, they're running this over at Fox. Do you want to, can you go over there to see it? Sure. You know, it's not that far. It's Los Angeles. It's just across town. (laughs) So I take my wife over there, the wife at the time, who is 4'11". And we walk in and it looks like we have the whole screening room to ourselves. And Hmm. it's like. Oh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. The reason we had the whole screening room to ourselves is because that was the Ewok square. Oh, screen. Well, there you go. And <laughs> we couldn't see them. <laughs> and she's, she's, you know, it's like, wow, I'm taller than everybody. <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, and well, that's true. Uh, just just thinking about Lucas's work with um with with the smaller actors, smaller statured actors, and that leads me to another movie that you worked on. Willow. That's a that's a great <laughs> segment. Willow. Tell me about Willow. We did the fairy forest sequence where Galadriel. Sh- uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the movie, but we're the, hopefully a lot uh, because yeah, Galadriel shows up. They tried using an interactive, a real light up. I think they shot it up in the Muir Woods, huh. and uh, this there was a safety factor. Okay. So they build a miniature forest. Wow. And every time you look back at her, mm-hmm. that's the miniature. And every time you took a look around at Migosh and um, and Willow, uh-huh. that's real. That's wow. actual 
Okay. Wow. And and so was it like a green screen with her right there with the the background or? Uh, we did the forest and the tree. Um, the trees had to be like ten or twelve feet tall. Not ten feet tall. Right. And it was just an interactive light, and they put her in later. Right. Wow. Okay. That's amazing. I Willow is definitely, you know, now now we're getting dating myself. That's when I was a kid starting to watch these movies. I absolutely love that. Um, and then, of course, uh, I was probably a little too young to watch this movie, but it was still one of my absolute favorites, Spaceballs. Spaceballs, <laughs> I think, has shaped me more than probably most other films have, just as a person, because uh, that's my humor. Uh, I used to be a Jungle Cruise skipper, so, I mean, Mel Brooks movies are like, you know, just... Yeah. That that's a standard. I need Mel Brooks in my life almost, you know, constantly. So Spaceballs, tell me about Spaceballs. Tell me about your work there because I worked on Mega Maid <sighs> and the snow getting, you know, sucked off of the planet and then right. put back on the planet, which is really just air. Yeah, it's <laughs> no, it's several boxes of baking soda. Oh well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> So you, you did that. You did Mega Maid uh, with the transformation and all that, or uh, the transformation, uh, the head flying through space, <laughs> right? And we did some others. St- um, those are the two that I. That's the stuff I really remember. How big was Mega Maid? Mega Maid was probably you know, like um, I'm thinking probably about five feet tall. Really? Maybe oh. a little bit bigger. I, it's been a while. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. Well, I would have. Yeah, I I would have thought maybe that just means that's a that's how good that is. But all right, very cool. But that's the whole thing with shooting miniatures, right? Is fooling people into thinking it's bigger, right? The thing that I found over in this early in the game was that it's harder to do real um, a realistic forest, mm-hmm. a realistic. Everybody knows what those things look like, right? So you're faking spaceship. Eh, whatever (laughs) (laughs) right yeah well and you know and that actually brings up a good point with miniature shooting um is the frame rate that goes through the camera because i think when you've when you're trying to capture something that is you know uh especially in motion like maybe even you know with the snow falling in space balls like is there a certain frame rate that you have to go by to make that look more real i mean because i know something like for example with water you know and when you're doing like water or fire you know something that's got that kind of elemental water and fire in the miniature world are two of the hardest things to do right because they don't scale well if you start going larger on Mm -hmm. what you're shooting then it works better right so um yeah so did you have to be mindful then of of everything like that and uh i guess in the same point where you go to the dailies and you go oh yeah well that obviously that didn't work (laughs) that that obviously was not working at all there's uh in the american cinematographer's manual there are formulas depending on the scale of the miniature that you can determine the frame rate but that's it's a guideline it's not cast in stone because a lot of times it's okay it says 72 frames a second we're going to go 96 yeah it's just it, what looks best. It, it, it's yeah. kind of what you know. It's kind of almost a Zen thing. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, okay. So, and then speaking of of uh, some of the films that have what uh, I believe that they actually even coined the term bigature uh, was the Lord of the Rings, Rings films. Yes. <laughs> and um, tell me about that because Lord of the Rings, I think, is one of the one of the best crafted series. Uh, in terms of just just cinematic, just Marvel 
like it, it's it's amazing to see and amazing all the tricks that Peter Jackson put together. Um, yeah, so they used every trick in the visual effects book. Yeah, uh, between force perspective with like Gandalf and um, not Bilbo, Frodo, Frodo. Thank yep. you. <laughs> Uh, well, even with Bilbo. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 And some of it's extremely simple. You want me to ruin it for your... Please. <laughs> okay. Please ruin everything. Yeah. No, absolutely. When Bilbo comes out when in the first part of the movie, when Bilbo comes out to greet Gandalf and he hugs Gandalf. Yeah. It's a set scaled, built to Ian Holmes' size. So that it looks like it really is his house, and right. what they did, they had a we had a guy on crew called Tall Paul, <laughs> right? Dressed him up like Gandalf, and he's who Ian Holm is hugging. Yeah, that's amazing. You inter- interestingly enough, you never see his feet, you never <laughs> see his shoulders, but you it, the illusion sold. Yep, I I have to say when I when these movies came out, I was watching the extended like mm. edition DVDs religiously. Mm-hmm. And I I will be honest, I think I learned more in those extended like bonus features than I did at film school. Mm. Like they were so well done and put together. And so yeah, I mean I they they show some of those tricks, you know, and, and even with like the big mechanical like guys going through and um but tell me about your work on the miniatures. Because there was a lot of miniatures that were were used uh. there. I worked on the Lothlorien set, the elves you know, yeah, oh, in the yeah. trees. So mm-hmm. we did that and the, shot it for all. I don't think they show up in the third movie. I don't think they show up in Return of the King. But it was primarily for the first one, mm-hmm. the Fellowship, and then the second, Two Towers. We did a bunch of shots for Two Towers. And yeah. that bastard Peter Jackson and his editor <laughs> oh, cut, no. it, cut it down to like three shots. Oh, no. <laughs> hate it when that happens um, um and now it may be in the extended version i don't think it is okay well what was the shot that uh it was mostly when they're up on the platform and looking back into the forest and there's okay. um talk uh it's galadriel coming up to talk to elrond and no legolas isn't there at the time one of the, it, basically do they want to get involved right in this fight got it yeah for middle earth very cool yeah uh, it's that's amazing. Um, so were you down in New Zealand then? Yes, for that? I was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, five months the first time. And then I went off to Australia. No, I went back home, got a call to come to Australia. This was several months later to work on Peter Pan. Oh, okay. Which I liked. And it's a good film. Yeah. And it sticks really close to the book. And nobody went to see it. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, it happens. It happens. It does happen. Anyway, Absolutely. Uh, I'm finishing up Peter Pan. I call over. Yeah, hey, I'm in the area. Kind of. <laughs> uh, you got anything now? Nothing's coming up. Two days later, are you busy? What would you like me to do? Pads of the Dead. Ah, so. all right. Very nice. Well, yeah, those movies. Uh, I mean, just everything down there is it. 
what what I think the team that they assembled down there was was it, it's a stellar team. It yeah. really is all all across the board. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, I got one last thing that I want to, uh, or I guess movie I, I want to talk to you about because I, I saw this on on your list and it's another thing from my childhood. I, I, I'm just reliving my childhood here. I, I hope you don't mind that, David. Um, but I saw that you had something to do with Back to the Future: The Ride at Universal Studios. Yes. What did you do for that? We did all of the hill valley. I did all of the hill valley section. Wow. And and the ice crevasse, and there was something else which I can't remember. But those were the two, right? Oh, and when they're looking down, and you can see the ice flowing through, uh, you know, where the the car is starting to drop back or go over the edge. You right. Know, yeah, with the, the lava part, I think. No, well, didn't do the or, lava, didn't do the lava part. The lava part was really interesting. Uh, this was Trumbull again, mm-hmm. and we had an old textile mill that was the original mill was from 1850 yeah and they just added on to it and then you know that industry dropped out and it turned out it was going to be a good place to do the uh, all this work yeah they built the lot i don't know how many of you guys have seen the universal back to the future right but where the car goes over the edge and starts going down into the that was a two-story miniature wow Wow, that's huge. Well, and then you had another story on top of that and one down below because you had a catch basin for all the lava that got pumped back up to the fourth floor. Oh, wow. And it's recycled lava. Where did you, where was that filmed at? That was filmed in Housatonic, Massachusetts. <laughs> okay. Housatonic, it's probably about as big as Halcyon. Yeah. You, you could walk around the whole town wow. in 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah. That's that's amazing. All right. Well, I, uh, I I have a couple other things real quick to before we let you go. Um, sure. So we are recording this the morning after the Academy Awards. Did yes. you watch it last night? Yes, I did. What did you think? Um, agreed with some of it. I was a little disappointed. I really wanted 1917 to get it for Best Picture. Yeah. Because I thought 1917 is just awesome and you got to see it on the big screen. Yes, I agree. I, I saw that. Um, I, I feel... Kind of sad. They didn't even win for uh, production design because I, yeah. that that one blew my mind because I just the fact that they had to create these massive sets uh, and design it in a special way for the camera to to run through it all that, that was insane. I mean, at least they they did win cinematography, yeah. which which and best visual effects and and best visual effects. Yes, and so um, that was very very good to see. Any other surprises or, or did you are you a member of the Academy? I'm a, I'm a voting member of the Academy. You are. Yeah. So uh, what's that process like? I mean, I, you know, I'm one of the low lives that just goes to the <laughs> movies and you know all that. But what, how, what's the voting process like? Did you? Because one thing I I heard real quick was that um, 1917 the screener came out real close to the ballot due date. And some people were like, well, maybe that was why they didn't get as many votes. Is that- and that's happened before where the screeners come out or the release comes out real close and people don't have a chance to see it. Right. Um, the voting, pro- the nominations and the directors were getting, the Academy was getting slammed because there weren't enough female directors. Mm-hmm. The director's branch nominates directors right the editors nominate editors actors so forth uh same with visual effects right when the nominations are determined then the entire academy can vote on it i see okay so you so each individual kind of group will will nominate their own folks and then everybody then collectively exactly votes on that okay very good so 
I'm not sure how the shorts or the documentaries work. Right. Have Have you been to an Academy Award? Not yet. Show? Not, not yet. yet. Here's the deal with that, and several people have asked, "Are you going?" Well, are we running out of time? No, no, no. Okay, no. Uh, here's how that works. All the seats, mm-hmm. were, the seats are given out to the Board of Governors, right? The presenters, the people that are nominated, and um, Parasite with their, you know, busload of people. As, <laughs> right. Not that I'm knocking them on that spot. That's where all those seats went. Right. And yeah. then leftover seats are put up in a lottery mm. for the rest of the Academy members. Uh, you have to pay for the seat oh. if if you get it. Um, the, Is it steep? Is it? I think the cheap seats are... 350 per okay and you're way the hell up in the nokia if you were any further back you'd be on the other side of hollywood boulevard <laughs> right i actually um a, a member of our board uh chris manigal he's actually one of the uh, uh producers for the red carpet show mm. and um so Sorry. last last year i uh, i was fortunate enough he took me down there for a tour the day before the mm. uh, award show and so i got to go up to those cheap seats but i i was like wow i am literally looking straight down on the stage like it is incredibly high yeah. in there um yeah but i i remember though is that the sound in that theater because they were doing the rehearsals at the time was that the sound was amazing in that theater and i'm like you don't ever get this just by watching it on tv from yeah. home but yeah. <laughs> when when you're actually there like this is a hell of a show going on right now so um the reason i didn't um put in my bid this year because my wife's in louisiana mm-hmm. in the new orleans area and she's working on a movie right now ah uh, so yeah very good um wh- well, oh what's the movie yeah uh it is one night in miami okay which of course means you shoot it in Louisiana. <laughs> of course, it's a little cheaper. <laughs> and it is a, apparently it is a stage play. Okay, and it's based on a true incident where Malcolm X, Jim Brown, Cassius uh, Cassius Clay, because he was Cassius Clay at the time, and I can't remember the other person's name. And what is she doing? She is the lead production accountant. Ah, there you go. That's that's a very important job as well. Yes, extremely. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Uh, what do you? What would you say? Looking back at yourself, mm-hmm. going into Close Encounters, you know, and and not knowing much about anything, and what would you say from? Uh, knowing what you know now to that to that to that version of you just getting started looking back on everything what would i say to my earlier earlier self <laughs> that's a good i never thought about that you're yeah. probably one of the first people that's ever asked me that so <laughs> well yeah it, but it, but you know in it, hindsight's always 2020 yes you know and we are in 2020 um so looking back uh i mean there's things that like you know what i know now is like i for me getting into it was like you always wanted to make sure that you wanted to be as up to date with new current technology as possible mm-hmm. because that is always going to be i think especially with motion pictures is that that's always going to be progressing it constantly it, it changes constantly and, and technology just moves forward like i haven't you know i haven't had a chance to make a movie in five years or something like that i you know and i've got two, two little kids it's funny how they suck up your time like yes, that they do <laughs> but love them to death uh but uh but 
it, it's amazing because I now talk to my fellow filmmakers and they're starting to talk about cameras and all these things. And I'm like, wow, I don't, you can do that. Like it's, a, it's only been five years I've been out of the game right now, but it's just like, wow, this is amazing how fast it's That's going. That's the thing with the new technology with the digital cameras yeah. is that it changes constantly. Cause several people have asked me, so why aren't you buying a camera? Right. Because the one I buy today will be an antique in three years. Exactly. You know, it'll be at the museum somewhere. Um, so what do you, but that's a good segment though, is like, so for you, digital cameras versus what you used to do in, in all the film, how has that changed for you? Like in, in terms of what, what are you working on now? Let's go with that. I just, well, a couple of years ago, we finished a short, which we shot up here in, on the central coast. Oh, nice. Um, and we did one before that and if I didn't shoot them. Okay. <laughs> Good friend of mine, I had him do it because yeah. I was directing and writing and it's way too many hats to wear. Yeah. But the one camera we used, it's the Black... Plug for Black Magic. Black, <laughs> Ma right. Black Magic Pocket Camera. Okay. Which is about the size of a DSLR. Mm -hmm. And we picked that, or I picked that, Luke picked that, because on the first movie... We were inside a phone booth with somebody, wow. with the operator, and you, you with the operator with the operator. You can't That's, have you can't have something huge. It's a sardine can. It is. Yeah. It is. It's mm -hmm. like filming in a submarine. Yep. <clears throat> Except smaller. <laughs> exactly. Um, wow. So in in the short film, where are you going to put it in festival runs? Or? Already been in festival. It Already. Was in, it was oh, in okay. the San Luis Obispo Film Festival. Nice. Very nice. Two years ago, three years ago, yeah. and then we did another one just recently, and there we used a Black Magic camera again, and that was the the Black Magic Ursa Mini Pro. Okay, which was it's bigger, but again, you know, back to right. technology changing. Back then, yeah, Black yeah. Magic didn't have that model. Of so. course, of course, yeah, and we are, uh, you know, of course, we'd love to have your your film. We're we're going to be putting on a, a film festival ourselves, a Central Coast Film Festival. Okay, so we're we're working on that. So of course, uh, anybody listening, we'd love to have films uh, be submitted. So come check us out for that. Um, and, uh, this has just been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you. And, and, and I, I hope to have you back more because I, I feel like I could talk to you for hours and hours, <laughs> literally just about space balls. Um, but, <laughs> but thank you. Thank, You're very welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> you. Now we're going to close out with some of our CCFS events coming up. Uh, we're going to be having a filmmaker and fans meet meet up. Uh, it's like a mixer. It's going to happen on March 1st from 3 to 5 p.m. at Central Coast Brewing in San Luis Obispo. This event is for all ages, so we encourage students and families to attend. And uh, let's just celebrate cinema together and have a nice chat. So I hope everybody can make it. We'll uh, be doing lots of discussions, you know, even things like this, what we talked about with David. You know, we can just do that all day long right there uh, in person. So I really am looking forward to it, and I'm looking forward to meeting all of you guys there as well. And that's a wrap on this edition of Take 18. 
This has been a production of the Central Coast Film Society. We are a 501c3 organization, and we couldn't make this show or anything that we do possible without your generous support. So please help make a difference uh, and consider making a donation, purchase a membership, or just simply attending one of our events that we have. We're always listed at centralcoastfilmsociety.org. That's our website, centralcoastfilmsociety.org. You can get more information, sign up for a newsletter, or just actually follow us on social media on Facebook and uh, Instagram there. So thank you again for everything. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Check out our other episodes. And that's a take. <laughs>